1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 16. Episode 12. This is Writing Excuses. Singing versus speaking.
2: Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Amal. And I'm Howard.
1: And we're going to be talking about uh, singing versus speaking, which Amal set up for us at the end of the last episode. This is part two of uh, eight parts on talking about poetry. So Amal, you teased us by telling us that you would tell us what you mean by singing versus speaking. So please do.
3: Yes. So I was saying that the ultimately for me, the differences between poetry and prose, which are many... Uh, can be kind of condensed into this one statement that poetry is more like singing and prose is more like speaking. But I want to dig into what I mean by that a little bit. So I want to, uh, the the same way that last episode, I was like, well, what, what exactly is prose in order to talk about what is poetry? I want to kind of point out what we take for granted when people are talking to each other. Our speech, when we when we speak to each other, has certain baked in conventions and defaults that, you know, you can be vaguely assured of. They will differ from place to place, from city to city, from country to country and so on. But there are still some some basic assumptions about communication um, and the way that we use our our voices to speak to each other. So those assumptions tend to be that there will be Clarity. We speak to each other to communicate things to um, Mary Robinette was saying last time that, you know, in in public speaking, you can have two broad tracks of information and persuasion. And these things are often mixing up in when we talk to each other in general. We talk to share information and we talk to, you know, perhaps argue with people and, um, and and convince them of our point of view. But what happens when someone starts to sing to you, when you expect them to speak to you? Things get kind of weird. This is really weird, isn't it? Now I'm singing on this podcast where you don't expect someone to sing. And that's super weird. And that to me is what happens to people when they encounter poetry in a place where they don't expect to. You
4: keep using the word weird when you meant to say lovely. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is very kind. And that is actually not irrelevant to the thing that I want to say about this, which is that that thing which can be alienating and off-putting and, and uncomfortable can also potentially be enchanting. And that's how I would like people to come to think about poetry as something that inherently at first makes you feel all sorts of different things that are not usually the realm of speech, where, you know, you don't expect usually to be uh, profoundly alienated by someone, um, I don't know, asking you for directions. One can be, absolutely. (laughs) But usually there's like an understanding that, oh yeah, you go that way, you do this thing and you just talk. But singing has a very strange place in the way that we use our voices. When someone starts to sing and and you don't expect them to, there is the sudden transformation of the of the relationship between you and the person hearing you sing. You have turned someone into your audience in a way that you don't actually when you are sharing the experience of just communicating. There is something extremely intimate and vulnerable about singing. Intimate specifically because the person singing is making themselves vulnerable. Um, There is this wonderful uh, aspect of... um, Uh, a comic called the wicked and the divine by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, which is about, um, essentially every 90 years, gods become embodied in, uh, in, in a set of like 12 teenagers. And for two years they get to be gods, but then they have to die. And, uh, and they have set this in, in a kind of pop music scenario. So you get to have two years of powerful, enormous fame and stuff, but these gods are, they have all this power, but they're also enormously vulnerable when they sing, that the only time you can essentially kill a god is when they are singing. And I think about that all the time when I think about poetry and what is involved in writing poetry and in sharing poetry, and also, conversely, in reading poetry. Um, there is this vulnerability and intimacy that comes into it, uh, and I'm really indebted to this insight to my uh, my agent Wan Song, who absolutely hates it when people sing around him. Like he gets very, very uncomfortable. He gets. This, like, I am not absolutely going to troll him the next
1: time I yeah. see him. That's Dong definitely Wan is not so is mad at you for letting the three uh, of us know No, no, I will. I will. I I respect people's hangups. I will not. You're
4: a better person (laughs) than
1: I am.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But this is the thing I was, I was really interested in this because, um, I don't feel that way. I really love it when people start to sing around me, I feel like it fills me with, with wonder and joy, but, um, but I was—I wanted to kind of dig into why this was, and I realized it was this feeling of the, the kind of uh, feeling that you get from like cringe comedy or something, where someone has made themselves too vulnerable, too naked, and you did not want to see that.
4: Um, for my own part, I remember as a kid reading The Lord of the Rings and other epic fantasies, which had poetry in and you know in the prose. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, why is this here? I hate this. This is. As I grew older, I realized, oh, that's because I've been speed reading since I was 10 years old. And poetry forces me to stop and slow down and pay attention to every word. And that's not why I picked up this book. <laughs> and and recognizing recognizing that about myself allows me now to look at poetry and say okay i the poet has expectations for my participation in this mm-hmm. and and i need to acknowledge up front how that makes me feel before i reflect anything back because i i do want to be a good person if you break into song around me I don't want to, you know, slap you and ask you if you got stung by a bee. Um,
5: Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
0: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: But I think that's a that's a really really good and interesting point, Howard. And I, I want to I want us to to come back to that at, um, after we pause for the book of the week, uh, which is uh, Dan. You, you were going to tell us about Stargazer.
2: That is correct. This is my newest book. Came out about a month ago, uh, and it is called Stargazer. It is the third book in my uh, zero G series of audible originals. And uh, so it is middle grade hard science fiction uh, about a boy and his family that go and, you know, start a new colony on an alien planet. Um, And it's done with full cast and music and sound effects and is, you know, just wonderful to listen to the books about four or five hours long in total. Uh, And this one, the third one, is my very favorite of the series. Uh it's a little more complex, it's a little more intricate, um, and uh I'm really happy with it and I want and you all to go listen to it.
1: As just a side note, my dad and I both have really enjoyed the first two uh first two in the series, and Dan told me that the Stargazer came out two days ago as we're recording this. I'm like, I have to go downstairs and tell my dad right now. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>
2: so. Yay! Uh, yeah. The great thing about this one is that if you are an Audible member, you can listen to it for free. It's kind of the Netflix model. You don't have to buy mm-hmm. it; you just can listen to it. So, there you go. Yeah.
1: So, um, so to, to that that again is uh, "Stargazer" by this this guy named Dan Wells. And I realize that you have never heard our last names, uh, but but that is in fact <laughs> Dan's last that name. That is me. <laughs> um so so this idea uh that that amal brought up and and howard uh expanded on of uh that that relationship um made me realize something that i have not actually realized about poetry before um and tell me if 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 i'm i'm off base here when you're talking about vulnerability with with poetry it's it's less i think about why it 's uncomfortable for a reader it 's less about the fact that the poet is being vulnerable and more about the fact that you're asking for vulnerability from the reader mm-hmm. there's a there's an idea in um in puppetry and, and you know in writing too that you want to create space for the reader to be mm-hmm. and that uh, this is one of the reasons that you'll you 'll sometimes do a fairly simplified form because you the the viewer then um Puts expression in the form of the the puppet figure as it moves through space, and the more specific and detailed you are in that that sculpture, the less space there is for the reader, the the viewer to to bring themselves. Huh. And so, with with uh, with poetry too, I feel like that's one of the reasons that I often have heard that advice to slow down, but I haven't actually understood that part of what it is what I'm doing is looking for the places that, that I inhabit in that. Um, to use a completely different metaphor that I've used elsewhere, that uh, if you think of, of a form, a literature, literary form is a, a clear glass pitcher. You can put anything into the pitcher you want, but every reader is going to bring their own vessel to drink from. Yes. And you don't know the shape of that vessel. Mm-hmm. And so poetry is providing more space for that that reader experience is that
3: I love that metaphor, um, and it, it's reminding me actually of uh, the way that Scott McLeod talks about uh, the cartoon or the icon, essentially, mm. um, where he he puts forward the idea that um, a smiley face, or you know, uh, he doesn't use the term emoji in understanding comics, but uh, but like something like a smiley face. By virtue of having so few features, literally just you know two dots for eyes and a line for a mouth, um, allows you to project yourself into that image a lot more easily than if you had a very photorealist, um, highly detailed representation of a human body. So, which becomes very interesting in terms of allowing people. Um, of lots of different backgrounds and uh, ethnicities and ages and genders to identify with what's on the page. What's interesting to me, though, is that I think potentially the difficulty with poetry might be the opposite of what you were describing, even though it's exactly the right dynamic. I think that poetry can be in, in demanding that shift in the audience attention um in that in changing the relationship between uh you and your audience it can be crowding out the reader by virtue of um transforming that relationship into a different set of conventions that are not as legible to the reader as mm. well so um and but i think that I think it is absolutely the same dynamic. The idea that some poems are asking the reader to inhabit them or to, you know, to take up space in them differently in a way that the reader was not prepared for, didn't want to, um, or that the reader is being asked to back off more than they were expected. That They wanted to be immersed and instead are being thrown out kind of the
4: difference between I want to tell you a story and I want you to have an experience. Yes. You know, one of the very first things that you said, Amal,
2: was, uh, you know, when you started singing to us, that suddenly, instead of a conversation, we had become an audience. Yes. And the act of singing had put a kind of barrier between us. Nobody wanted to interrupt you Um, nobody wanted, it suddenly wasn't as much of a back and forth because it had taken on the form of a performance. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: so that is another way in which I think that, uh, that poetry can change that relationship so much. Uh, one of the things that this is most calling to mind to me is, uh, the concept of found poetry or accidental Mm -hmm. poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, when, when you're Having a nor- when you're not expecting to find poetry and then you do, uh, and that does seem, you know, strange and sometimes wondrous and sometimes annoying because, you know, depending on, on how you react to it. Um, my favorite bit of found poetry is from a physics textbook, old enough <laughs> that it is not one that I studied from, uh, but that I encountered in an English class, and it's relatively famous. And it says, and thus no force, however great, can pull a cord, however fine, into a horizontal line that shall be absolutely straight. And that is not something that the physicist wrote as a poem on purpose, but it is a shockingly brilliant couplet. Oh, it's yeah. a
4: poem. Oh, yeah. I that. And oh, I
2: love it so much. <laughs> and, and part of what's going on there is, yes, it's a mnemonic, and that makes it easier to remember. But also, because it is suddenly and unexpectedly poetry, you do have to slow down in order to parse every word. And that's why I can still remember this flawlessly 25 years later, um, because that relationship, I don't remember anything else about, you know, that particular chapter of poetry that I was reading, but this one just grabbed me, which is one of the powers that poetry and poetic language has.
3: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I really want to commit that to memory. (laughs) And it occurs to me that there are, um, this is another, another thing about singing versus speaking is that when the, I I mean, I think that we've been talking about this partly as like the um, leaning more towards the alienation aspect uh, or the vulnerability than the enchantment, but the, the word enchantment literally, uh, like the the Latin roots of it mean to be inside a song, essentially mm-hmm. uh, that you are inhabiting this different space, and I think that um, that by there's a kind of leaping out that poetry does um, in in that kind of stepping forward to perform that if it has succeeded in demanding your attention. It's like what you're describing, Dan, you remember it for a lot longer. The reason that rhyme is a mnemonic is because it's so artificial. It's so unusual that it will jump out. The reason that Shakespeare's scenes uh, tend to end on a rhyming couplet is to, you know, signal here is an ending. Here is a transition to something else. Um, singing by virtue of being so different from the speech that we use to communicate is, um, is more memorable, will stay in the mind. This is why we get songs stuck in our heads and stuff in part. Uh, And so I want to just leave you with this thought that singing um, is to poetry as speaking is to prose um, and that, or sorry, one of those, singing is like poetry and speaking is like prose. Um, And if you can think of poetry as something that is within your uh, power to do purely by virtue of letting your words stand up a little straighter and and draw themselves to their full height, you know, let your words demand a certain kind of attention, then you start writing poetry. Um, Hmm. And I think that that is a place to to start from, to think about where are you demanding attention for your words and how. That's fantastic. Um, Do you want to give us some homework to
1: kind of drive that home?
3: I do. I do want to give you homework. So what I want you to do uh, is I want you to take a passage of prose, ideally from your own work, especially if you think that it isn't quite working for some reason, like a, a passage that has felt clunky to you or that isn't quite doing the work that you want it to do. And I want you to take it and doing whatever you need to to make this feasible for yourself. I want you to try and sing that passage. I want you to just imbue that passage with a melody. I want you to feel the difference in your own body as you are trying to sing that versus trying to speak that. And when you do that, I want you to pay attention to what happens to you. Um, Do you start to feel self-conscious in some places and not in others? Do you notice things about the passage itself that you don't usually? Um, And then I want you to, once you have thought about that, I want you to try and rewrite the passage as a song, as if it were song lyrics. Then try to sing it again. And then once you've done that, try to translate it back into prose. Fantastic.
1: All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal and
0: Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon.